Great, great to see you all. Great to be back. And um, so we're this morning um, finishing Galatians. We're finishing our um, studies in Paul's letter to the Galatians, probably his first um, letter. So it's chapter 6 and verses 11 to 18. We've been looking at Galatians under the overall title, Freedom for Everyone. And I've um, called this morning's um, conclusion, I've taken the words from um, this passage, what counts is new creation. The heart of the passage is about the gospel, the cross, but it's because it leads into and makes possible new creation and we're going to have a break and with um, some different things going on and then in September um, we're going to begin a new series and we're going to go through um, the minor prophets those of you who know anything about um, the minor prophets will know um, that they have quite a lot to say I believe and many of you will agree for us today in the chaotic world in which we live. And um, we're going to um, go through the minor prophets, one prophet a week. And um, that's a bit of a challenge for those who are speaking, um, to speak about each of the minor prophets and give summarize their message in 25 minutes um, or whatever. Um, but that's our aim and we believe that God has something to say to us and through that. So that will start about the middle of September, um, advance warning. Um, this morning, in concluding, I'm just going to um, use and speak about and speak into and out of and Paul's own conclusion to this letter. And I want to start by asking you to put up your hand if you know what an amanuensis is. If you know what an amanuensis is, it's a Latin word that is used particularly in education today. So who's going to tell us what it means? Go on then, Liz. Okay, it's, it's, Liz says it's somebody who writes for somebody else in an exam. So if you have somebody who can't write for themselves you're able to get an amanuensis in, and very often they will be paid if it's an important exam, and they write for the person who is unable to write, and it would be unfair for them um, to fail the exam on the basis of their not being able to write. Um, now, the idea of amanuensis, and the Latin term suggests it, it goes back a long way, and um, when Paul wrote his letters, um, probably he was always using an amanuensis, and uh, they would be handwritten, of course, um, so he would be dictating to this amanuensis, and um, hence verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Because it was the recognised thing, it was quite a tradition, um, that just to be personal and make the, the, the letter, the writing feel personal to those who received it, you didn't just sign off and with a pen, but you wrote the last bit yourself. So Paul picks up his pen and he begins with a joke. Look at my um, rubbish writing, these large letters um, that I'm using, unlike 
whoever it was, and who wrote the rest of the epistle. And so I'm going to um, read what he writes in his own hand as we look at print, so unknown at the time when Paul was writing. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. After his... um, opening joke and Paul quickly becomes very serious he wants to make a final hard hitting point about the issue that threatened to blow apart the young church that is circumcision the Jewish sign of the covenant and this is what Um, Paul is saying you may understand clearly from his language I'm going to use slightly different language um, not at length um, to try and put us in the picture about this so um, some of the Jewish Jesus followers were putting pressure on the non-Jewish followers to be circumcised like them Now, this is what Paul says is actually the underlying reason why they were doing this. It wasn't actually because they thought that circumcision was important at all. But it was because they believed that by getting the new non-Jewish believers to become circumcised, they would avoid persecution from their fellow Jews for mixing with non-Jews. Jews Jews and non-Jews never mixed. Through the gospel, Jesus-following Jews were mixing in communities with non-Jews. And the Jews wanted an explanation for why they were meeting with non-Jews. If they could succeed in getting the non-Jewish believers to be circumcised, they could explain 
to their Jewish communities that the new mixed gatherings involved everybody who was circumcised. So it was okay. Actually, these guys had become Jews. And in that way, they would gain the approval of their fellow Jews and they would avoid having to speak about the true thing which was bringing them together, the gospel, the cross of Christ. If they, mention, if they mentioned their belief in Jesus as Messiah and his death on the cross, they would certainly come under persecution because that teaching was blasphemous to the traditional religious Jewish community and it would invite trouble. So Paul is right up front. He's very cutting about it. He's very pointed. He comes out with it very straightforwardly. The reason they're doing this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're ducking out of speaking out about the gospel and they're trying to get credit for mixing with circumcised people. And at the same time, they truly do believe in Jesus and the cross, but they're just not prepared to share that with their fellow Jewish communities. Now that's 2,000 years ago. But of course, the gospel of Christ crucified is offensive to many today. It is blasphemous to Muslims as well as to Jews. And Muslims, of course, have a great place for Jesus in their faith, but not for his death and not for his being divine. Um, I was part of a very interesting group a few years ago, some of you know this, um, which brought together um, Muslims, they would have brought together Jews if we could have done, but we didn't find any Jews in this area. There's no synagogue or obvious Jewish community. Um, and, and we had Buddhists and people of all sorts of different faiths. And the purpose of this group was to share openly and honestly what we believed. And we had um, meetings in which we would eat together and, um, and then we would have a subject and um, a representative from each group would be able to speak um, about directly about their belief in something. And one week, one uh, meeting, we had Jesus, and um, and I um, spoke about Jesus. And um, honestly, the idea of this was to be straightforward and, and bring out differences. We weren't trying to get together and sort of be lovey-dovey and share what we all share and forget the rest. We were really deliberately trying to raise things over which we differed. So I, I went for John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I spoke for my 10 minutes on Jesus, not as the only way to God, but as opening up the way to the Father through the cross. And um, when it was open to questions, um, I was questioned quite a bit about this. And you could see the offence that it caused. It was interesting the Muslims didn't raise um, the question about who Jesus is or his death. 
But one of the Muslims very strongly objected to the idea that we could receive salvation through the suffering of someone else. That was immoral, a despicable idea. We should all pay for our own sins. And he couldn't tolerate that idea as a Muslim. There were one or two other questions. But afterwards, I had um, people who, some of whom would call themselves, would be calling themselves Christians, strongly objecting to the fact that I'd even raised the subject that differentiated between people and suggested that there was one way that God could become father. And there was anger amongst two or three of the white English people who lived in Newbury for many, many years. And you could feel the offence that it had caused. It was very interesting because afterwards there were Muslims who came and really wanted to enter into open discussion. So if we are prepared to speak boldly about the cross today, we will cause offence. And I think we feel that, and I do. I've given an example of being prepared to do it, but I could give you many examples of where I've ducked. More than this, the gospel of Christ, the preaching of the cross, is considered a very serious threat to all forms of totalitarianism, oligarchy, dictatorship, and theocracy. And any nation which has any of those means of government will object to anyone who speaks openly about the cross because it is viewed as subversive. And then there are many individuals who find the teaching of the cross offensive for a whole variety of reasons. And we could all give examples. How can a God allow his son to suffer? You're judging everybody who doesn't believe that. You're judging them. How do you dare to do that? And so on and so on. All of this means that it is a challenge to us to share the gospel boldly today. It really is. But verse 14, Paul is an example of someone who is fearless and always was fearless in sharing the gospel. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In his introduction to the letter to the Romans, which really develops the themes of Galatians more fully, it's a much later letter. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The death of Christ <coughs> is the most important event in the history of the world. 
It signals a mighty end. And the resurrection signals a miraculous new beginning. The possibility of a new start for everyone. The possibility of every one of us and all those in Thatcham and Newbury and beyond, every single person without exception, the possibility of having a new heart, of having a new mind, of having a whole new life. But much more than that, the cross marks the beginning of the end of the old creation. And the resurrection marks the start of a new creation. And that's what Paul means when he talks about um, the, the new creation being all that counts. And Paul believes this in the depth of his being. His crisis experience on the Damascus Road brought about such a dramatic personal change in him that it's recognised universally, at least in the Western world. And we use this language, Damascus Road, to describe dramatically changing experiences of all sorts. In verses 15 and 16, Paul says that actually this issue that he's been writing about um, and, and going on about of circumcision and uncircumcision, he says it doesn't matter at all, it's a non-issue. Circumcision and non-circumcision are actually a non-issue. What matters is this new creation. And Liz read from um, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, where Paul has something else to say about the new creation. He has a lot to say about it in his writings. Um, I'm just going to read what he says in Romans 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy, what worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be deliberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so on. What Paul is saying is, through the gospel, through the cross, individuals come into right relationship with God. There's a new creation. We are made new. But the consequence of that is that we share the message with others. Because of the change that's occurred in us, we want to share the message of the cross, the gospel, with others. And as others are changed and transformed and it grows, um, the creation itself will be transformed and changed and renewed. And Paul says it's only the cross. It is only the cross. 
It is only the death of Christ making an end and the resurrection of Christ making a new beginning that this can come about. Nothing else can bring it about. From creation and fall, everything pointed to the cross. And now everything points back to the cross. And it doesn't just point back to the cross. It points forward to the renewal of the whole of creation. And those who follow this, those who believe this, are the true Israel of God. Now we know from and the end of Romans that Paul doesn't dismiss Israel as a nation. But he uses this phrase, the Israel of God, the people of God, the new people of God, the church, for everyone who accepts this message of the cross. The people of God, the church, the new people of God. Now the question is, and I've already been answering it, do we need this message of Galatians today? I think we need this message of Galatians today more than we have ever needed it. This is the message as we need to hear it today. I, I just want to sort of share and, and, and ask you to think about it. I think that we can all be guilty of finding ways to avoid sharing the simple message of the cross. And I think there are all sorts of reasons for that, but perhaps the main reason for it is that we sort of want to avoid the offence that it causes. And perhaps the persecution that it still brings. For us, that might be words and nothing much more, but that can be hurtful for many in the world. It means much, much more. We know that only too well. Secondly, I think the message is relevant, very relevant today, because I feel that as human beings, we are different to each other. We have different likes and dislikes. There's no problem with that. But sometimes that means that we have a tendency to begin to add to or take away our own bits of the gospel and to make judgments of others based on this. And it is true that tragically the body of Christ today is divided in far more ways than it was in the early church, of course. It's so much larger. Things that cause divisions within the body of Christ. Buildings, styles of worship, the way we dress, translations, language, traditions, and also national, social, political, and economic differences. Now, I just think that's true. But I ask myself, does it matter? And it doesn't necessarily matter. 
Circumcision or uncircumcision is nothing. It's nothing. It's meaningless. That's not the problem. The question is, do our differences, which we can really value in each other and appreciate, do they divide us? And sadly, they quite often do. And the next question is, do these differences become important enough to detract from the gospel? And sadly, they often do. And where we see differences, I think we should be asking those two questions. Do they divide the people of God, the church? Do they detract from the gospel? Now, in my list of things that divide, I could have put creeds, and I actually did. And then I took it out. And the reason I took it out was because I know that the Nicene Creed, which was formed in the 4th century, is believed by churches east and west of all denominations. It centres in the person of God and the gospel. And we should be asking the question about whether people in their practices, traditions are detracting from that gospel. If they are, that matters. And so, verse 17, as Paul comes completely to the end, all of his writings show how central the cross is in Paul's own individual life and preaching to others. And here, he gives this little contrast. The Jewish Christians were going on at the non-Jewish Christians and saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to have that mark in your flesh of circumcision. And they had their hidden reasons. Paul says, the marks that I have on my body that matter come from my being persecuted for preaching the cross of Christ. I stand before you as an example of someone who has scars, who has physical injuries that have come to me because I am bold in proclaiming the cross in every and any situation. I will never duck from it. It is so important for the world, for the whole of creation, as well as for each one of you as an individual person before God. There is nothing more important than the way we view the cross.
And having done this, Paul ends in a warm, conciliatory, if he needed that, he's been speaking quite tough stuff, conciliatory fashion, praying God's grace on this young community of Jesus followers. And by his signing off, recognising his close family relationship with them all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Final takeaway. I've got two things for us to take away. I've said them already. Number one, let's all recognise and experience the power of the cross alone to renew and transform our individual lives, the church, which is the body of Christ, and the whole of creation. We are changed so that we can change others and so that we can bring in the new heaven and the new earth. Number two, through experiencing the reality of this personal change then, to be emboldened by God's spirit through what he has done in us, to share the gospel with others, whatever the immediate consequence, knowing that this is the key to growing the church and bringing in the kingdom of God.